Hey everyone, welcome to the Maestro Movie Podcast. I'm pissed as hell. Guys, just go. Oh, uh, so, uh, a couple things happened this week in news. Um, we uh, A certain trailer came out, and I owe Chris an apology now. Uh, I'm assuming you're talking about Bumblebee? I am talking about Bumblebee. That movie looks I don't sweet. know why, but I knew that very well. <laughs> It's almost like we've done this once before. Jabu. Fifteen minutes. <laughs> Gone. Yeah, but it was fifteen minutes of us chatting with good friends. Yeah. <laughs> Go uh, on. Then uh Dark Phoenix trailer came out, was it yesterday morning or this morning? I don't remember. It was it was uh, uh, I think it was night. yesterday. Yesterday. Um and very, very uh it looks sweet. And uh, some news came out with it, and that's Kevin Feige's the executive producer of the X Men universe. That so was based... that was days before that trailer came out. It was like a couple days, but that's beside the point. It, yeah, I do believe it came first, which is why I was surprised that I saw the Dark Phoenix because I I knew they were filming that, but then I thought like, well, maybe they're going to change some things and do stuff with it. Uh, I didn't know that they were ready to produce a like a look yeah. at it. Uh, and it, it's sounding like, according to Kevin Feige in that interview, is we're going to get our first inkling of X-Men characters in Phase 4. Uh, and that's dope. Because <laughs> that's a lot sooner than a lot of people thought. <laughs> I mean, it's it's not a monopoly if they're getting characters that they always owned. It's true. Um, and then, uh, you know, another big thing happened this week. A, a certain kids movie got pushed up a week. That's a, that's a thing. <laughs> How to Train Your Dragon three? Yeah. Um, um, to be to be honest, I, I I think that's like fine. I mean, I'm looking at like the movie schedule for the year so far. In the early year, you know, uh, you know, January is basically just all glass all the time, and that's dope. Uh, then you know, February is gonna be a battle between Lego Movie, Dark Phoenix, How to Train Your Dragon. Uh, and that's going to be a big one. And then we move into March, and this one movie comes out that everyone's blowing their minds about, and it looks dope, and I'm excited for. By a certain uh, studio. I don't know what you're talking about. It, it stars a certain certain actress by the name of Brie Larson. Uh, uh, short term 12-2. Shorter that. term and and it has another person in it named Samuel L. Jackson, and he may or I may do. not have lies. Okay, listen, listen, listen. In it. <laughs> All right, for those who haven't caught on, we lost fifteen minutes of audio because yeah. I suck, and yeah, I know. Um, You're great, and I love you. You're the oh, if, oh. man. Oh, and Jude Law. <laughs> You've been tolerating me for a year. Um, that is so not, not, not true. So. If anything, it sounds like you're tolerating us. Yeah. <laughs> okay, the there, is, oh. <laughs> there is something that I do want to address. Oh, the Captain Marvel which trailer. Is gonna lead, which is going to lead into what Alex is going to talk about. Maybe it's not the best segue, but... Yeah, I mean, it's a fine segue. Hey, the Captain Marvel trailer came out and it's good looking. Hey, the scrolls are sweet and she punches old ladies. What's not to love? Listen, I, I, mean, I did hate the fact. I did hate the fact that people <laughs> oh were like smile more because that's stupid. What? There were a, there were a bunch of guys on idiots on Twitter, but enough okay, for listen. it to be notable. Listen, okay, go listen. ahead, Chris. All right, on that subject, I'm yeah, not gonna be. I'm not gonna be one of those guys. Okay, I'm not gonna say she should smile. Like, 
when in that trailer should she smile? I don't care. Eh, eh. Now, it's here's this the thing. Idea that women, it's this idea that women are more approachable when they're smiling and that a dour but, woman is someone you can't approach, especially someone who's attractive. It's, it's a gross idea, and but, I'm not a fan of it. But, 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 but. I'm not saying she should smile more. I'm just saying, like, I'm not, I'm not going to be like that. I did get the impression, I couldn't help it, she was a little too emotionless. I mean, now, guys, now, we, but, we but, now, let me finish. Zach, let me finish. Okay, Zach, okay, let me finish. Let me finish. Now, people have been bringing up, well, people, well, the, um, the, the stars of the MCU haven't have done the same thing. Like, they've barely emoted. They've barely, like, um, like, smiled or whatever, what people are saying. I've been thinking about that. I could be wrong. So, there's some... There's some stuff on my end that I'm going to need. Again, it's just a trailer and context is lacking. Maybe they didn't use the best shots and they're saving the best shots for the final cut of the movie. But from this trailer, I am excited because she is the Thanos killer. If not, it's Jean Grey. But I do think... I There's context we're missing as to why she's so... Why I think she's so... I think she's... She just came across as stone-faced. I'm not saying she should necessarily smile more, maybe just emote in general. Okay, talk me off this cliff. All right. So this is what I think... Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me help explain to you guys what's going on here fully because, you know, I'm the the resident comic book nerd and I know what's going on here. Uh, And people need to, you know, chill the hell out. Pardon my French, Chris. But so so let me let me explain to you based on information we know about the movie and based on kind of what we've seen, okay? I'm only going to use context of what we've seen in the trailer, okay? Go. Is that acceptable? Go. Yeah, go okay. So the movie is going to start with her already having her powers. She's already going to have her powers. She's going to be fully powered at the start. She's part of this organization called Star Force which is basically a Kree military background. So she's spoiler the- alert. Spoiler no, alert. I mean, that's in the trailer. Spoiler alert. You literally see it in the trailer. They've spoken about it in interviews and in the Entertainment Weekly piece that they do, but also it's in the trailer. Yeah, she. it's in the trailer. So she's in this organization that's, that's run by Jude Law's character. We see that. It's also run... Run by Lee Pace's character too, which you know we see in the trailer. They both run it together. Um, so the fact that she's very stone faced, like she's coming down to Earth just in the middle of the crease, in the middle of a freaking war. So she's a soldier in the middle of a war. I mean, do you, how often in like military movies do you see like soldiers, you know, you know, smiling? They really don't, especially when they're on a mission. You know, she's here hunting scrolls. Yes, guys, the scrolls are in the MCU. It's a big deal, we know. Um, like, like the best example is like her punching that old lady. Well, the scrolls are best known for like transforming into pe- other people, and then, you know, this leads into a bunch of big theories about where Avengers Four is going. But I'm not going to go into that. That doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is, she's on Earth hunting scrolls, and that you know that, that explains why she just has this angry demeanor all the time because 
She doesn't know who she can trust. That's the big thing. She She's on Earth. She hasn't been on Earth in years. You know what I mean? And she's hunting things that can look like a human. Uh, I would say... And she kind of that... runs across Sam, Samuel Jackson's character and they, you know, they go on an adventure. That's kind of how Captain Marvel's kind of going. I would I would say all of that makes sense, especially if you know the history about what they are. I would say in terms of watching the past movies and knowing that she's going to be a part of a group that involved, uh, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but Jimmy J. Hazun, I, I, I'm not sure. The, the yeah. guy from Blood Diamond and Wayward Pines, I love him. I think he's great, but I also think that he just picks poopy roles sometimes. Yeah. But he's in Guardians of the Galaxy as a as a bad guy for the scrolls, and then Ronan himself. If there's yeah, yeah. anything Lee that I Pace can say and, about those... Yeah, yeah. Lee Pace and Korath. Like, Korath the Pursuer. Well, so, it, if the, there's anything that I would say about those two characters in Guardians, uh, and part of it is because of the joke of Guardians, uh, that the Guardians are fun and playful and cool, but that Ronan and his crew are super, super serious. They're a super serious group of dudes. So I am not surprised that the, the company that she keeps has rubbed off on her in terms of being super serious. And I would assume that probably Jude Law has that attitude too. So when I see her acting with those characters and then coming to Earth and being that thing, my, my, my guess is that's just the attitude that scrolls have. They're just super serious people. Well, no, no, she's no, got no, a that's not with the that scrolls. That, that's just Kree. my guess. She's with the Kree. The scrolls are the bad guys. Okay, sorry, I uh, I get confused. That's fine. The scrolls are the green dudes, are the, are the green dudes that we saw in the trailer. Ultimately, I am. Uh, I it I don't care because it's true. Not, not if you look at the the material for a lot of the other heroes, um, they aren't really, especially if the situation is serious, they aren't really smiling, not in the posters or anything like that and stuff. But if you, uh, I guess it depends on the person. Like I guarantee you they didn't hire Lee, uh, Brie Larson for her sense of humor or, or, or comedy chops, which she does have some, but they've always been underlined with the sense of humanity that a lot of other comedians don't do. She's mostly known for her super serious work. She won an Oscar for a super serious role. Like, she is a serious actress. So my guess is one of the main reasons they hired her is because of her ability to perform a, ser a serious role and to give a serious performance. So I'm not surprised that that's what we're seeing is her being, like, intense and into yeah. what's going on and like she's focused and stuff like that makes sense to me she's not a tony stark she's not a um i mean Star i would, Lord. Say, I would she say is like actually like most of the other women in the mcu that are like capable of fighting and like combat ready she's hardcore and she's super serious like gamora like nebula she she's tough and you don't have to smile a lot when you're punching old ladies or coming back to your home planet and you're confused and having flashbacks and stuff like that. And she doesn't seem like she's there for fun. The last comedy I can imagine Brie Larson was in was 21 Jump Street. And then before that was Scott Pilgrim versus the world, but she wasn't even that comedic in Scott. No, Pilgrim. She was also in Trainwreck too. Yeah. In train. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah in Trainwreck. So like she, she does this stuff. And she has these 
comedic roles, but they're very few and far between compared to what else she's done. Oh, yeah. And, and honestly, I think that her comedic roles, I think she offers something serious. Like in Scott Pilgrim, she is serious. Like the point of her character is that she's super serious. And then she adds this little bit of humanity at the end that I really enjoy. Um, 21 Jump Street, she's a real person. Like One of my favorites Brie Larson movies that not a lot of people have seen and I think is everyone should see is Short Term 12. I love Short Term 12. Like, don't yeah. even get me started. Like, you know Keith iconic? Stanfield. Chris, oh, I love, Alex, Alex, I, love I saw Short Term 12 for the first time at a film festival in, in South Dakota, and I, I fell in love with Brie Larson from there. I mean, she, I saw it, like, literally months after it went to South by Southwest and did fantastic. Like, it was great. <laughs> well, I th um, Chris has made a good point that I wanted to bring up something that happened specifically today, and that was, and I don't want to get political, but the, the Supreme Court nominee, Brett Kavanaugh, went up against the Senate and uh, was questioned along with his accuser, who was accusing him of sexual assault back in high school. Um, and I, I'm bringing it up because there's a lot of talk today about just how women are treated in situations like that, how, how sexual abuse victims are treated in that sort of situation. And it brought up a topic that I wanted to, and discussed with Zach off the air a couple weeks ago that I wanted to do on this podcast, if Chris is okay with it, which is I, I love doing this and I love showing Chris new stuff. And all of us have, all three of us have a perspective that is mostly male and mostly geared towards pulp and violent and fun, goofy stuff. But I've noticed that in our lists, in in all of our lists, that there isn't really a a, a female voice, either in character or well, in production. We, and, well, and I kind of want to hear into though, that. Alex, Alex, last last time we came on, we did add one though. I had to fight for it, but we got it. What dogma? Dogma, yeah, dogma. But, but I would, I mean, it has a female lead character, yes. But it's a, it's mostly Kevin Smith's voice about religion. It's also a very hugely ensemble movie. Uh, she and honestly, I think she's the weak. Her character's fine, but I think her, the actress is the weakest part of that movie. Well, but mostly, yeah. I was thinking about like, and I don't think we should do it. But I was thinking about something on the lines of Lady Bird. Like, it's yeah. made by a female filmmaker. It's about a girl growing up, uh, or something like Bo Burnham's Eighth Grade, or. Um, or uh, Greta, um, God, that movie Greta Gerwig did. Uh, Lady Bird. Um, that was Lady no, 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 no. Like she actually started it. It was a a Noah Baumbach film, like um, Hannah Yes or something like that. I don't know. I just want to find something that sort of focuses on if it's a if the female Maggie's lead. It, it's if it's about a female character. I wanted like dive into female ideas and the experience of being a female. In general, like we just don't have that a lot. We're finding female voices in film. Uh, one film I was thinking about offering to the table for the good films was Hurt Locker. Like well, Captain gonna, uh, Chris, you can turn turn me down, but I will tell you this before we even get to it. I already know. You know, I'm gonna I'm gonna lead by example. I, my suggestion this week for adding to the good wheel is going to be a female led movie, and it's going to be a really fun one that I love a lot. I've seen it in film school a hundred times. Alex, I know, loves this movie. Chris, I think you will die out laughing from this movie if you haven't already seen it. Are uh, you going to suggest? Are you going to suggest Fargo? No, not Fargo. 
Okay, can we save okay. that for the end when we're actually talking about it? Well, this is relevant to the conversation at hand. Wait a second. We're not spinning the good wheel, though. We're spinning the bad wheel, right? No, we're spinning the good wheel. Were we going to spin the good wheel for a few weeks? Yes, we were. Oh, okay. I for- completely forgot about that. But anyway, okay, no, I'll give it two I mean. more weeks. Two more weeks. Anyway. I'm going to be blunt about it. I, I know you want to save it, Chris, but I'm going to share it now. Clueless. Yes. Yes. I'm I'm absolutely about that. I'm hold on, Chris, hold on, hold on. You can shoot me down on Clueless, but I'm just gonna suggest Clueless. So, female director, female writer, based off a very popular classic female book and an incredible female performance. Yeah, and it's absolutely. Fun. Like, it's fun. <laughs> it's it's especially if you grew up in the '90s like me, it works well. But I think it's aged extremely well in the terms <laughs> of its very sort of made up version of. It's world. I kind of forgot that Paul Rudd's in that movie. There's a lot of people in that movie, man. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, it's just so I just so I have the right one. Alicia Silverstone, right? Yes. Yeah. Is there okay, another that one? Yeah. No, I was just making sure because it's yeah. a TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, it's based, based, based on the movie. Yeah, they're based off the movie. Okay. <laughs> but yes, I think I think Clueless is amazing and. A, 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 a really, really good uh, high school film from a female perspective. It's, it's not even like it's a bad movie. It's a treat to watch Clueless. It's so much fun. It, it's a fun movie. Yeah, I gotta agree. It's I gotta agree. Like, I, I think that's a great suggestion. Uh, it's so much fun. Like, it, it you, you, you can't hate the movie. It's, like, so hilarious. Like, I mean, I, I could be a little bit more, like, weird. I could suggest Mean Girls, but, like, Mean Girls is, like, a weird... It's, like, another whole another thing i think it's i think mean girls is the more nihilistic um uh jaded approach to what high school is whereas clueless is more sort of like fun the thing about clueless is that these kids are wrapped in a world of wealth so they can have this kind of weird um ambivalence everything whereas mean girls is a combination of like of of public school it's an idea of what public school is and it's it works but also Uh. tina fey and her voice really shine in that movie yeah uh anywho uh my suggestion is gonna be clueless regardless well, we, we will hammer it out when we get there of course and then uh i would say the last thing i want to talk about that annoys me is uh, and i won't go too much into like the politics of it but mel gibson is back directing uh and he's gonna remake the wild bunch which if you know what the wild bunch is it's an amazing classic movie Made by uh, Sam Peckinpah. And uh, Sam Peckinpah has his problems, but when it comes to his understanding of violence in film and how to present it, he has a better, more clearly... um, He understands it better than Mel Gibson does. And the fact that Mel Gibson is going to remake The Wild Bunch uh, bothers me a lot. Uh, I don't like it. I wanted some young, new filmmaker, probably the guy who made like Bone Tomahawk or... The guy who's been making, like, Tyler Sheridan. Like, I would love to see either one of those guys go to town on a film like that. Like, especially S. Greg Zoller. Like, I would totally be about that. But <laughs> Mel Gibson is the last person I would ever want to make that film. Because I think he will present the violence interestingly. And I think he'll delve into it in a fun way. But I don't think he understands it the way Peckinpah did. Uh, which bothers me a lot. And I don't think I'm probably ever going to watch it. Yes. I I, lo- I I just love the Wild Bunch, man. It's so 
it just understands what a world of violence does to people. Um, and the ending really just shines. Like you're not supposed to love the ending, but you can't help but love the ending. It's, it's, uh, I love that movie. Um, yeah. and it's, it's really sad. That guy does not, <coughs> I really wish he wasn't, I really wish he wasn't, um, directing that. I mean, I can't say I don't wish he was directing anymore. I can't say that that's Hollywood. I mean, that's my own personal opinion. Like he's going to be actually in the next Greg Zeller movie, uh, with Vince Vaughn. And I'm going to see it cause I love that director and I love the two movies he made. And I don't mind if Mel Gibson is in a movie, I just mind when his vision is the overall um, experience that you're getting. And I don't like that he is going to do that. That bothers me. Anyway, that's my piece. Yeah, that's life. This is going to be a very interesting conversation about which movie we, we put on the wheel next. Yeah. All right. So. Speed. Yep. I love speed. Fun one. We picked the wheel picked the wrong season to watch this movie. Yeah, I was gonna say we missed it by if we didn't if we had had a chance to record last week, I think we would have been able to catch it at the very last week of summer. Because uh, this is a this is a, a real big summer movie. Yeah. <coughs> yeah. Um. This movie. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, can well, it. This is your. Did you watch it today, Chris? Did yes, you, I did. Did you just I watch did. the game? I watched. No, okay. I. Um, okay. So what happened was, um, I watched about the first half hour. Game started. Hell broke loose. Watched the movie some more. Then, teasing started to happen. And then it fell flat. Then I watched the rest of the movie. And now I'm good. Now we're Wait, good. Are you saying family teased you? No. No. We're not gonna. We're the... not gonna talk about it. Okay. There was I mean, already I don't a time. About, I don't care about football, really? At there all. There was. So I don't. There was already a time where I ranted about football on this show. I'm never gonna do that again. Okay. That's done. Oh, so it was it was a good time to rant about it though it was an impressive it was an impressive uh, point in Viking fan history. Anyway, anyway, so let's talk speed, guys. So, but We're this, talking so this speed. Was your, my point is, is this was your second time coming back to it because I remember yes. it was about like half a year ago. You asked me what was a, what would be a good movie to watch, and I was like, Speed. Well, you should watch Speed. Okay, yes. Um, yeah, okay. So it wasn't... It, it, it was way back in the Willow Creek days when... I think you were first starting no, out. You were first, Alex was first starting out. Al, Zach, you, were, you weren't there yet. Oh. Wow, that is... You were just about to show up. And I'm just like, oh. okay, I want to get into action because that's what I want to do. I'm like, Alex, I need a good action movie. And then Alex said Speed. I'm like, okay. Keanu Reeves pre-Matrix, let's plug it in, see what happens. Never regretted it. Well, I, th I wanted to think, of, when you asked me that question, I was like, there's so many, there's so many new things out there and everything, and, and the, the highlights and the standouts are there. 
but I, I am a child of the 90s, and I and I was the reason I love film. I'll be right back, guys. The back action ones. Like I, I learned how to read the language of film through action movies on television constantly. Like I'll, I'll look at movies that I haven't seen in a long time. Like Tremors Two was on HBO all the time, and I'll look at it now, and I remember moments visually clearly. And it's just how I learned how edits and cuts and jumps like that happened. And it was sort of like watching silent films for me. And as I got older and I got into like the idea of themes and ideas behind the language of film, I still kept coming back to those films because uh, I love them. And I really started to realize that there was a there was a moment in the 80s when like Predator and Commando and Cobra and, and this like very bombastic idea of what um, an action movie was, although great, interesting in its own right. Um, sort of got grounded in reality because of Die Hard. And, and this very sort of real sense of action movies started to come out, and you got really fun things like The Rock and uh, Terminator 2, uh, and real classics of the 90s, I think. Uh, and then it sort of went haywire again. And it all changed when X-Men and Spider-Man showed up, and a new language uh, actor to show up by adding comic book stuff. But um, I really thought like this that there was a lot of movies like this that you would appreciate from the '90s that I wanted you to go back to, especially since I don't—I didn't think you were ready for uh, anything necessarily earlier than that. <clears throat> so watching it the second time. Mm-hmm. So I watched it the second time. I did manage to take away from it. Um, it was a little hampered because, you know, the game. Um, but I still managed to digest this film in its entirety. Um, there, I was, I, I'm actually... <laughs> I have a visitor in my room. Dog? It's a dog? It's big dog. <laughs> Ooh, big dog. Oh, you mean the dog? The dog you don't like? No, like fifty pound dog who will body slam me randomly. <laughs> this is the one I love, but he 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 big. <laughs> he, 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 he just doesn't understand uh, his size. No, he doesn't. No. But he's adorable. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. Here's the thing. Oh yeah, yes. Oh my god. Um, that is weird. That does sound weird. The thing about this movie that this that a lot of movies today don't do is action is action with consequence. Like every 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 decision almost come almost pretty much comes at a price. Like like when you think about it. that's sort of how the movie starts. He looks at me and says, uh, what would you do, Hotshot? What would you do? And that's kind of, you're right, that's kind of the theme of his journey. He always he always put his faith in Harry. He always relied on Harry for a lot of these situations. And if Harry wasn't there, he would just go with his gut. And sometimes his gut was stupid. But in this, he's forced to think. And when he doesn't make the right decision, you're right. He There are consequences. And not just him. There are consequences to the to the writers, to... Sandra Bullock to Dennis Hopper, even. 
Um, by the prime example being, and we'll get to it, when he's under the bus and he's losing the he's losing the uh, the thing that he's on to stay under the bus, and so he decides to stab the fuel tank of the bus in order to stay in order to stay on it as the thing he, as the board he was riding on just fell under the wheel. Like it's yeah. like like things like that that are that are lacking in movies today where you're in a situation and you need to make a decision but any decision you make will come at a terrible price. It's I don't I don't want to interrupt. You guys keep going, but I gotta let the dog out. He is giving me this look. <laughs> I'll be back. Like, he's like, I don't agree with that take on speed at all. <laughs> <laughs> so the dog knows more about like, film like, than I do. Why are you, why are you, why are you, why are you talking about that? that? I'll be back. <laughs> um, I, I think that's a very interesting takeaway, Chris. Um, that's very true. That's pretty much what Jack's journey is. It's, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people call there are a lot of connections between this and Die Hard. Not only did the director basically shoot Die Hard, but it, this is a lot what a lot of people call Die Hard on a bus. And I do agree with that structurally, but at the same time, he has a different journey as a character. And it, it he goes from a hotshot guy who will just go with his gut and trust his friend when he doesn't know what to do or doesn't want to think through a situation to being forced to think every think his way out of this. And I remember the first time I watched this, I'm like, I don't know what I would do in this situation either. So recently, what got me thinking about this, I just thought about this. So like recently, Alex, I'm going to explain this to you. So they came out with, they rebooted Tomb Raider, if you haven't heard. Um, Yeah, I watched it. So the new Tomb Raider game that just came out, Shadow of the Tomb Raider, basically does the same thing where Lara takes an object that she didn't think all the way through because she had to keep that object away from Trinity, the the main bad guy organization. And Are by you that... About the video game? Yeah, the video game. Not the movie. Not the movie. Yeah. And she sets... And by taking this object, she starts the Mayan Apocalypse and kills probably a few thousand people by floods and mudslides <laughs> and an erupting volcano. Um God. Way to live with that. Jeez. That would suck. They didn't handle that very well. <laughs> they did not execute what that would do to her very well. Yeah, I would say that would crush me. I would, like, sit at home and, like, drink every day. Like... I'd hate myself. The way they... The way they do it is that she is angry about it, so she kills... Dozens more soldiers, and then she feels bad about it because she's not helping in any way. After she just killed like a close to a hundred people in like the span of fifteen minutes, and it's (laughs) it's like they like literally, she's like they tell her her best friend her best friend's dead. She goes on a murder spree, um, because she's and then. And then she starts crying about it because they got away again because she couldn't control herself. It's, Jeez. It's, it's, uh, wow, that, that sounds crazy. Oh, yeah, it's... Uh, she's just supposed to find... She's supposed to raid tombs. Like, don't do that. 
she, so anyway, she need like a, a hard nosed detective backstory. Right. Anyway, back to speed. Like every decision comes with a consequence. Like the the bus jump. The bus jump, they did that, but then the tires the tire tread started to fall off. I think as a result of that. I think it was a result yeah. of the jump. Uh, this that and the speed that they had been consistently driving, but yeah, like that that the weight of the bus and that landing probably screwed those tires even more. Yeah, because I don't remember the tire treads coming off until after the jump. So I'm thinking the jump. Yeah, they started coming that. off around the airport, but it wasn't like they were running over spikes or anything. Right. Um. But just. But just, yeah, I just feel like action movies, even even one of my favorites, John Wick, you know, even John Wick, even though that's not what this, even though that's not what that story is meant for, still could have had moments where, like, action with consequence, where See, he goes on like this that, murder that spree. in John Wick 2. Way right. more than it happens in John Wick One, especially the end I mean, of John Wick Two. That's the point of John Wick Two. But um, but yeah, that's my major takeaway from Speed is just that is action is there's no action without consequence, and they were not afraid in this movie about a bus that cannot go beneath fifty miles an hour unless it'll explode. They did that, and it was great. Start taking your film seriously. Yeah, it's 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 not only something that moves the action and uh, the plot along. It is also built into his character. It's his art. That that whole thing that that is basically the theme of the movie. What hot, pop quiz hot shot? What do you do? What do you do? Right. I like that. <coughs> okay. Bless you. So, yeah. Um. So, Alex, you. Wanted to talk about somebody before we started. Yes. So um, I'm going to ask me, you. Let me let me formally I ask you. I want to you. talk about me and how sexy I am. I got a cute little tush. Uh, my lips are perky. No. Uh, I want to formally ask you. Um, I want to formally ask yeah. you for the podcast sake. Uh, Who is Jan DeBont? Uh, Jan DeBont. Jan. Jan DeBont. Sorry. John DeBont is uh, was born in the Netherlands. He is, for um, I guess, lack of a different title, one of the most important and influential cinematographers of action in modern filmmaking. Um, really? Absolutely, he shot Die Hard. He shot um, uh, Hunt for Red October. Uh, he worked on a Zucker Brothers movie. He defined a lot of the look of the 80s and um he's got a very interesting career the uh, being born in the netherlands um and being dutch it took a while before he made it up here to america the first big uh movie that he had made for an american company um is something called roar and roar is one of the most messed up productions ever to have happened in filmmaking history. It's one of my favorite um, nerve-wracking movies to watch. Like, if I want to be on the edge of my seat biting my nails, that's it. 
Um, it is it's a it's a story about a guy who lives at a animal sanctioned refuge slash his house with um, hundreds. I would say in the hundreds, maybe 150, less than that. Um, <coughs> jaguars, cougars, lions. Oh, tigers. this movie! I know about this movie. Yeah, it's 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 messed up. Like seventy to eighty crew members were um, mauled, uh, injured, injured at the very least on this set. What's uh, the guy? You you told me about this. I remember this. Yes. You told me about this. It's a crazy, crazy story about how this movie got made, and that it was never released until Alamo Draft House, which uh, your friend uh, Jackson Bigley now works for in uh, Woodbury. Uh, released it a, a couple years ago. You can actually see it in Blu-ray on YouTube right now, and um, it's a it's a crazy watch. And people got hurt, man. There's maulings in the movie that they used in the completed film. Jan de Bont himself was scalped by a tiger. He was scalped. By, I think it was a lion actually, and he had to get plastic surgery to fix it. He got scalped, Chris. And he still came back and finished the movie after that happened. Dude's crazy. crazy. He was he's a crazy professional. He is he was in it. He's like, This is my first American movie and I'm not gonna let some silly little tiger lion mauling uh, ruin it. Um, it would take uh, a few more films, a couple of comedies, um, Ruthless People with the Zucker brothers, uh, and a few other films before he would really hit um, big and leave his mark with Die Hard. He is the one who shot Die Hard. A lot of the look and the style of how that film feels and the lighting and um, I, I would say most importantly the use of uh, scale uh, comes from Beyond Bond. And so many people have been inspired by that movie and how it looks. It's insane. Um, was the lead later- actress in that movie from Minnesota? I have no idea. Roar. Tippy uh, head. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Um, he would eventually go on to do Hunt for Red October, um, Basic Instinct, and then eventually by 1994, he would leave cinematography and direct his first movie. And that's this, Speed. And it was a huge... Huge hit, Chris. A massive hit. Uh, people loved it. Keanu Reeves became a star. Um, he also directed Laura Croft, Tomb Raider, Cradle of Life. Well, I'm going to get to that. Uh, <laughs> then, he then made... Um, he was done with cinematography. He continued producing, and he wanted to move up. And he made... Uh, instead of just an action movie, he wanted to make a, uh, um, a CGI spectacle. One of the first after Jurassic Park. And he made Twister. And uh, I think Twister is one of the dumbest movies ever. <laughs> but I also think it's incredibly fun. It's an incredibly fun film to watch despite how stupid it is. It's got an amazing cast. Uh, a good three-fourths of it are filled with people who go on to like amazing stuff. Including like Philip Seymour Hoffman. But uh, both <laughs> Speed and Twister prove what he does well as a storyteller. Which is he likes to embed odd comedy, uh, weird character beats, um, insane action. And the only way that they work is if the story is structured very simply. If the stakes are very clear, 
and that there's no fluff or filler or or space to fill. Like you, you need to know where the story is going. It needs to be propulsive because if it slows down or doesn't have any uh, motion to it, it he's going to fill it with stupid stuff. And that's how we got Speed 2 Cruise Control, which is a terrible movie. It's it's an interesting watch. It I'll doesn't it exist. It doesn't exist. It, it's interesting. I think William Defoe is a good bad guy. I also think that Sandra Bullock has moments because she's technically the star of that movie. Uh, Jason Patrick is the is the Keanu Reeves of that movie, but he's not very good in it. Uh, or at least he's just he's just very dull in it. He doesn't come across on screen very well. Um, but the movie in and of itself is dumb. It's just the fact that it's a boat is dumb. It doesn't really offer a lot of interesting <laughs> scenes boat. or anything on it. Uh, it's dumb. It's not a good movie. Um, and then he would go on to make uh, a couple other duds. The next one being The Haunting, which is a remake of an old 60s movie, which I love. I think it's actually The Haunting from the 60s is really, really good. It's It, it scares me. Uh, and I don't get scared that easily. But a lot of it is because it is, it turns into a psychological uh, horror film at the end, and you start to really embed yourself with the psychosis of one character and the tragic end of that person. Uh, the haunting remake that he would do, which would have like Catherine Zeta Jones and Owen Wilson and Liam Neeson, Owen is boring. It's boring as all get out. Um, and uh, Owen Wilson, yeah, he just sort of does his thing. Captain Zeta Jones is like sultry and stuff, but like, it's a boring, boring, boring movie. Uh, it's not very good. It's just dull. Um, doesn't look good. It's, again, a story that he tried to make a horror film, and the problem is with a horror film, you're supposed to fill it with scares. Like, oh, people are supposed to wander around this house and find stuff and get scared and be spooked. That's not good for him. He needs a he needs a through line for him to get to set piece to set piece and those it doesn't work in that film like there's some interesting stuff at the end like Owen Wilson spoiler alert gets his head ripped off by uh, a giant lion mouth in a big old fireplace and it's wow. interesting but it's also the only death in the movie and it's it <laughs> just it's dull <laughs> it reminds me a lot of Jurassic Park three um, but as a horror movie. Uh, and then it would take a long whoa, 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 Alex, 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 you're telling me Jurassic Park 3 isn't a, a, a horror movie? Because it's really bad. Uh, it's a horror... Ex, it's, experience it's nowhere horror, near Fallen Kingdom. Nowhere near Fallen Kingdom, I agree. Um, and, yeah, I and then to see it again. It's like, it's at, Fallen Kingdom's at Hopkins right now, and I kind of want to go see it. <laughs> again? Uh, I no, I'm not going to waste my time on that. <laughs> uh, you would pay two dollars to be like what the heck <laughs> uh it was my mom's birthday uh, a little bit ago and the day before her and i were hanging out um and my brother and dad were like we got fallen kingdom and we're gonna watch it do you want to watch it with us alex and i was like no, no. i'm gonna watch mr smith goes to washington with my mom because she's never seen it and they're like you're gonna watch this cheesy old 30s movie with jimmy stewart about politics and i'm like yep. yeah Yes, I am, because the last 40 minutes of that movie are crazy nuts and really, really good, whereas nothing in Fallen Kingdom works at all. Uh, and I wasn't going to waste my time with it. And then they both walked out, and they were like, eh, it was okay. And I'm like, no, you, you guys just won't say it. Just say it. It wasn't good. Um, but at the end of the day, 
the hunting is really bad. It's just boring and not very scary, and it doesn't pay off. Uh, then he, it would take four years before, before he would get to make another make film, another film. Uh, after those two jobs, and it would be Zach's right to uh, Tomb Raider 2, Cradle of Life. I can't believe he and, did that. And uh, <laughs> that is a, a pretty boring movie. Yeah, it's pretty bad. It's got Gerard Butler and, and, and Angelina Jolie is not bad as an action hero, but at the same time, the movie in and of itself is just kind of like, it it loses focus halfway through and then it just kind of does twist after twist after twist and then it's just, what what are we doing? Uh, and it gets really boring and um, it didn't do well and he he had hit his peak. He, just, he was done. He wasn't getting directing jobs anymore. Uh, he didn't want to do cinematography anymore. He just sort of got out of the game. By the time Cradle of Life came around, cameras were different, and the process was different, and he just didn't know it. Uh, and he was old enough to be like, I'm going to go and work on other um, philanthropic ideas. And he did, and he got married again. Um, and he, the last thing he did was in 2012 where he went back to cinematography um, to help shoot and create a documentary for a very famous uh, Dutch filmmaker who wanted to do a biography of his life with the help of other directors, and Jan de Bont stepped up. And I've seen clips of it, and he does some interesting stuff with the interviews. He does some interesting stuff with the archive footage. It, it was nice to see him do something that was clearly a passion project, uh, a- exhibiting his best skill uh through the love of one of his favorite Homeland directors. And I, I think it's a good note for him to walk out on if he never does anything else. But I feel bad because I think Speed and Twister are good examples of fun action movies that you can just sort of... I think Speed's a little bit smarter um, than it needs to be. But Twister, you could just shut your brain off and just, just enjoy the silliness of it. And speed grabs you. Speed just grabs you by the throat, and you just have a good time. And, I, and that's the story of Yon Devon. Scalped by a lion, uh, shoots Die Hard, makes Speed and Twister, and then just sort of poops the bed on other det- director stuff, and then goes out with a nice little cinematography thing he did for a friend. Yeah. He looks pretty good for a guy who got scalped by a tiger. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I don't know... I don't know if that's his real hair that they got back on or if he um, got plants at some point, but uh, that was a horrifying set to be on. Melanie Griffith had to get plastic surgery after a lime malter face. Things are crazy, man. Because her father wanted to make the movie so bad. Roar (laughs) is an amazing watch. Roar is going to be on my podcast, I'm telling you. It's insane. Yeah, have fun with that. Um, I will, man. I've seen it a couple times. It's nuts. It's a fun watch. It's a crazy watch, more like it. Hit of the 90s. Before people started swapping faces, we had speed. Um, the, the, best, um, the, the best copycat of Die Hard that ever came out of copycat Die Hard's. Other being the others being Under Siege, which is Die Hard on a boat, um, and Hard Target, which is Die Hard at a hockey game. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad. It's not bad. Jean Claude Van Damme, not bad. I love Jean Claude Van Damme. He's the greatest. He, he is 
he is still making some really fun, good movies. Yes, he is. He's in your, he's in your Kung Fu Panda too. Yeah. Yeah, Hunter Dragon Three will be the best movie since Kung Fu Panda Two for DreamWorks. Yeah, Kung Fu Panda Two is pretty good. I love it's a solid. One. That was that was my favorite at the time. Three right. was like sweet too. Like I don't know. Uh. I, I stand by three just being a carbon copy of two. Yeah. Eh. So, are we ready? I mean, when are we not ready? That is true. Uh, oh, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. Here we go. Speed. Released June 10th, 1994 in the States. Directed by Jan DeBont. Starring Keanu mm-hmm. Reeves, Dennis Hopper, Sandra Bullock, and Jeff Daniels. Joe Morton, too. I'll throw him in there. Mm-hmm. And Alan Ruck, of course. Um, who? Uh, Alan Ruck. He was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. It's a crime you haven't seen him. I see. Ferris Bueller's Day Off is one of the greatest movies ever made, man. So... One of the greatest 80s ever made, for sure. <sighs> So, because it, it, the Vikings it, it game... sort of goes down by having a pedophile be the villain. It's great. <laughs> so, because the Vikings game was on, I wasn't really able to take notes, so I'm bringing back the return of the IMDB synopsis. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, it's very inconsistent. I don't appreciate this. <laughs> it's going to have... It's going to probably have personal opinions involved. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the Vikings play again on Thursday night, so I think we're good. Thank so. This is a throwback. So, in a downtown Los Angeles office building, a security guard is checking the basement when he runs across a man tinkering with some wiring, asking to see a work order. The man, uh, the man, uh, the man suddenly stabs the guard in the ear, telling him nothing personal. It's brutal. It's a brutal stabbing. A group of people who work in the building are taking an express, taken are taking an express elevator down. When a few explosions are heard, the cables are severed and the elevator plummets a few floors before the emergency brakes stop it. Los Angeles police dispatch their SWAT team, including Officer Jack Traven, played by Keanu Reeves, and Detective Harry Temple. Jeff Dan- uh, th- uh, Thank God. Thank God he wasn't called Harry Hole. Um, oh, God. I watched that movie recently. It's terrible. And by the way, <laughs> I, I love how quick this synopsis is going, but at the same time, I hate that it skips over the giant car jump that is the entrance of those two guys. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's just incredible. <laughs> Subtlety is not their strong suit. Um, so. Um, oh, yeah. Captain McMahon, played by Joe Morton, briefs the men on the situation. Uh, bombs have already severed the main cables. The only thing keeping the elevator from dropping to the basement is the emergency brakes. The bomber has wired them with explosives and has given an hour... A one-hour ultimatum. Pay him $3.7 million or he blows the brakes. Dun-dun-dun! I love how I'm reading this, by the way. I am so loopy. Um, Both Jack and Harry use a building access panel to examine the bomb. Harry, the SWAT team's bomb squad leader, says the work doesn't look familiar, but the bomb is definitely a professional. While they wait, Harry quizzes Jack. Jack is at an airport when a woman is taken hostage. A kidnapper is almost to a plane. What does Jack do? What does Jack do? 
Jackson just I shooting mean, the hostage. Shoots the hostage. Shoots the hostage, right? <laughs> with a non-lethal wound, so the kidnapper can't take them. Can't take them with him. Here he scoffs, telling Jack he's crazy for the idea of shooting a civilian. Jack suddenly comes up with the idea to use a windows window cleaner's crane on the roof as a way to hopefully get the passengers off. Help get the passengers off. However, once they have hooked the crane, the bomber blows the emergency brakes and the elevator begins to plummet. The crane cable stops the elevator for a short time before between two floors where Harry and Jack manage to get the passengers unloaded before the crane pulls free of its base and the elevator plummets to the bottom. Now, given it was a 90s movie, I expected like a spectacular explosion when the um, when the elevator hit the ground. It's just, it just hit with a thud and then almost blew the elevator doors open. Yeah, that just seems more realistic to me. There, the, right. the, the, when it hits the ground and you and you see the people run away from it, it just seems like what would probably it would just be this crush. It wouldn't be an explosion. It would just be this crush of metal and slam, and the thud would be so loud it would right. like hurt their ears. It was twenty five stories up, hitting concrete. It's a crown. It's, a, it's a really great. It's a really great scene. Yes, it's. <laughs> I knew I, when I first saw this, I knew I was in for a good time because I was like on the edge of my seat throughout this whole scene when I was watching it. I'm just like, this is gonna be a cur. This is gonna be a good one. Something yeah. like that. It it still gets me every time. It still works every time, and it's still. Uh, I think it's a great way to get the audience um, to grab the audience's attention, considering the entirely different situation they're going to run into uh, with the rest of the movie. This is a, this is a claustrophobic um, situation, both for the SWAT team members and the people involved. And it, it, it's just small quarters. It's very fast. It's very quick. And you don't, you don't get time to breathe. Whereas I do think that element is in the rest of the movie, but it's on a highway in a large bus with a lot of open blue sky, and it just has a different vibe to it, but still the same feeling of suspense. Harry notes that the explosion happened three minutes earlier than the time limit given, with Jack thinking the bombers must still be in the building. Mm -hmm. With the main elevators having been shut down, Jack assumes the bomber must be aboard a freight elevator in the building. And before I move on, did they reveal... Dennis Hopper's character's name at this point, or was it halfway through the movie? No, you don't know his name. You don't know anything about him. Uh, that is part of uh, the mystery. Uh, well, it's not just the mystery. The term. It's about how um, Jack figures out how to uh, beat him. But, but there are hints. Like the reason he blows it early is because he's listening in to the shaft, and he can hear the SWAT team come in. So. It, without giving spoilers, he has an idea of how the police would respond in this situation, and they give hints of that um, early on in the movie. So Harry and Jack find the freight elevator where they encounter. Um, do I do I mention his name now, or do I wait until we actually learn it? No, you can. His name is not the big deal. It's what okay. his profession was, okay. honestly. So Harry and Jack find the freight elevator where they encounter Howard Payne, played by Dennis Hopper, their bomber. Um, although his name is not you know, known at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's it's his job. It's what he did, not necessarily who he was. Who he was leads them to to what he did, and what he did is what gets them to realize 
how uh, well he's planned this and how much he has the upper hand. So Payne shoots at them both with a shotgun. Um, they're on top. Okay, so he's in the elevator. Um, Harry and Jack are on top of the elevator. He starts shooting them both with a shotgun, dropping Harry into the elevator car. He uses a control device he's wired to the car's control panel to raise the car to the top of the building. Man, he's thought of everything. Forcing Jack to jump into the car. Which I thought was a bold move. I didn't think he was gonna I didn't think he was gonna jump into the car, but he actually did jump really into the elevator. Think, well that's the thing. He doesn't think through situations, he he just does. He he's like a dog chasing a car. He, he wouldn't know what to do with it if he caught it. <laughs> he just dude. He just he just does things. <laughs> Thank you, Fletcher. Oh man. Um, it's painful. It's, 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 when you're watching the scene and the bomber has Harry, it isn't just that Harry is his good friend. It's that Harry is the one who knows how to handle the situation. It's ironic that not but 10 minutes before they're in a hostage situation, Harry's questioning him for fun about what he would do in it, but Jack doesn't think of the answer when he's in it. He thinks of the answer when he has time to sit in an elevator shaft and think about it in safety. But in the moment, he still needs Harry to remind him how he should handle the situation. And even then, he doesn't even shoot him in the right spot, really. He shoots him in the thigh, which uh, <laughs> is way worse if he had, like shot him in the foot or the leg. Yeah. I mean, maybe he thought there was more meat there and less of a possibility to hit an artery. I don't know. But uh, it takes mm -hmm. Harry reminding him twice in that situation what to do, which proves that without Harry, Jack is kind of lost. Right. If you've seen Black Hawk Down, then you know in graphic detail that the thigh is a bad place to shoot someone. I don't remember that movie very much at all. I don't watch Black Hawk Down. I like it, and I did like it when I watched it, but it's been so long. I watched oh, you, Black you, Hawk you, Down for the like, camp. <laughs> you don't remember the part where they're trying to clamp the artery and, like, three sets of hands are in the man's thigh? No, I remember the actual crash. I remember Jeremy Piven. I remember a battery. God, he was in the movie. And uh, I remember everybody looking the same, despite how famous everyone was and how famous everyone else would be. <laughs> They're all shaved white men. It's insane. Like, I just... That's the it's military. the first time I watched it. Too many white men. Too many shaved white men. Like, no. <laughs> so, pain. <laughs> I've always known that, but hearing it out loud is so funny. Yeah, like, um, <laughs> it, my, my father's at that age where if he watches a movie with, uh, like, he was watching The Wire for a long time with me. And he loved The Wire. He really dug it. But there were points where he would look at me and be like, I, I don't know, man. Some of these people, and he didn't mean it in a bad way. He meant, the, he meant, when he said it, the criminals in the show versus the cops, because that's the point. There are way more black under, uh, uh, I, I guess, underprivileged black people on that show selling drugs uh, than there are cops. And half of the story for the first couple seasons, or I would say a bunch of the seasons, is watching the difference between the white, not white, but like mostly majority white cops and 
how that is parallel between the system of uh, the gangsters, which is just as elaborate, just as specific, and, and eats people up just the same. But he would watch the scenes with the gangster, and he'd be like, God, but these people, I just can't. I, their faces kind of blur together. Their their actions and their words kind of blur together a little bit. And he, he even sat there and was like, that's weird. Like, I feel bad about that. But I feel the same. I, it's probably the same way for a lot of other people in, in white movies, but certainly is the case for me in Black Hawk Down. I haven't seen it in a while, so maybe it'll make out a little bit more clearly for me. But like when I first watched it, I was like, Oh, I know that guy. Wait, is he? Did he do that? Did he do this? Who's been? Who's captured? Who's tortured? What's going on? Eh. I, I will say this: that I was. I even then, I knew how amazing and uh, well crafted the sound design was for that movie. Mm. So, <laughs> so pain holds Terry hostage and shows that he has wired himself with explosives. He uses his device to trick Jack and Harry's team into thinking that they're into thinking they're getting off on a different floor, but they arrive at a parking level instead. Payne attempts to take Harry with him to the building's parking garage, but Jack, recalling the scenario he and Harry had discussed earlier, shoots Harry in the leg, preventing Payne from taking Harry any further and causing Payne to drop him. Payne makes a dash out the door, but before Jack can get to him, the explosives go off, knocking him back. In a really weird way. Yeah. Flies back in a weird way. Lands in a weird way. It's almost as if he's been picked up by wires and he's just getting floated across the room. So, um, leading afterwards... One second. Doggo. Doggo go. Whoop, whoop. So sometime afterward... God, let, let the dogs out, man. <laughs> um, sometime afterward, a commendation ceremony is held in which Jack and Harry are congratulated for the services and are given medals for their valor. They go to a... Bo- oh, yeah, by the way, um, Howard Payne is watching from a television. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's an early hint at uh, his all-seeing... Uh, attitude in the film. I see. So, sometime afterward, a combination ceremony... Oh, yeah, I already said that. They go to a bar where they and their colleagues celebrate their victory. And in Henry tells Jack to be more cautious in his work because his recklessness could get him killed. Um, so the next day, Jack stops into a small coffee shop to drink. As he goes out to his car, a bus that had pulled away explodes and bursts into flames. A payphone nearby rings. This is where they got the idea for Transporter 3. Um, and every other movie cons- that does this thing, which doesn't make sense. I was going to say phone booth with Colin Farrell. Ah. Um, a payphone nearby rings, and Jack is surprised to hear Payne's voice on the line. Payne explains that he had spent two years planning the elevator job and chastises Jack for ruining his life's work. The bomber then goes to explain that he has planted another bomb on an L.A. LA city bus, which will be armed the moment the bus passes 50 miles an hour, and then will detonate Uh, if the bus drops below that speed. I would actually say that this whole bus scenario that he puts together for two buses, mind you, Uh um, 
is way more elaborate than his elevator thing. That seems like it probably would have taken way more time. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe he put the elevator thing together, then it was screwed up, and then he just basically hit Michelangelo genius after it. He was just inspired, and he's like, those guys, stop me, and I can do better. And he does, but like, I feel like the buses are way more elaborate. I feel like it would have taken him a little longer for to just hop from elevator to bus. Agreed. I mean, there is a there is a there is time that goes by. There's a ceremony. Harry's leg has been healed to the point that he is just kind of walking with a cane now. Um, so, I mean, time has gone by, but enough right. for him to make some even more uh just bigger and more elaborate uh, there weren't crazy. there weren't any titles to establish how far into the future how far forward we went from their first encounter until the cer- the ceremony <laughs> yeah it's weird yeah so let me see here okay so yeah he so he so the bomber then goes on to explain that he has planted another bomb on an LA city bus, which will be armed the moment the bus passes 50 miles an hour, and then will detonate if the bus drops below that speed. Payne also explains that if any passengers are removed from the bus, he will detonate it himself, and demands a ransom of 3.7 million, the same amount he demanded during the elevator kidnapping by 11 a.m. Which is yeah, the, the whole eleven a.m. thing. The whole eleven a.m. thing was never really comes back, not to my recollection. What do you mean? Apparently, he wanted the money before eleven a.m. I can't uh, remember that coming back. Uh, I don't really think. Yeah, I don't think he gets it before eleven a.m. I think. Uh... I don't even think yeah, I think them. what happens later in the day. I think it happens much later in the day. I don't even think the bus explodes before eleven a.m. The first one. Yeah. Um. Yes. It, it no, the does. one we're talking it's... about. No, we're talking the one we're talking about. The, oh, main the, ma- bus. the main bus. Uh. Yeah. It probably explodes way later in the day. I would say it probably explodes around like mid afternoon because when he's done chasing uh, Sandra Bullock and Dennis Hopper and they go through the crash uh, onto the street with the subway like the sun's starting to set. Furthermore, he knows that the bus's radio is out of order, so alerting the transit authority is just useless. A final rule is that none of the passengers are allowed to get off the bus. Um, Payne gives the bus number as 2525 and Jack takes off to catch up to it. So Jack manages to catch up to the bus en route through this amazing car chase. Um, well, we also get the set- before that happens, we get the setup of Sandra Bullock trying to get on the bus and the bus driver letting her on at the last second, which is a, a good decision for the people on the bus, but a bad decision for her because she's about to go through a harrowing experience. Um, and we meet her and a lot of the other people on the bus for the first time. But yeah, in the middle of that, Jack is driving uh, very dangerously to get to the bus. 
Um, okay. Okay, so... But when he frantically tries to get the bus driver to open the doors, the driver just ignores him, thinking it's a prank, which he broke the window. Um, so Jack then commandeers a Jaguar and again catches up to the bus. After a mad struggle, Jack manages to relay to the driver that there's a bomb on the bus and manages to board, jumping from the moving car into the bus door. Nothing is done many- clean. One of the many things that is stupid about the second movie is that they bring back the Mercedes guy as a boat driver. And Jason Patrick, the hero of that movie, oh commandeers his boat and destroys gosh. it. Gosh. Um, I, I do didn't think like that was the this. same guy. I've seen clips of I've seen clips of Speed 2 Cruise Control. But like I never thought that was the same guy. No, he, he is a he's a popular uh, 90s actor who would end up being on Lost and Sons of Anarchy and doing a lot of great TV work. His name's Harold Peru. I really, really love his work. Oh, wait, no. Uh, no, this is somebody else. But this guy would end up being in, like, uh, Showgirls and Basic Instinct. And uh, a few. And he's Mercutio in Romeo and Juliet with Leonardo DiCaprio. So he's been, he's been in other stuff. Or maybe I'm getting involved with Harold Peru again, but I feel like they're the same guy. You're talking about Michael Kelly, right? Uh, is, is Michael name? Kelly the guy from Showgirls and the Mercedes driver? Yeah, he's the guy from Lost. That's Harold Peru. Oh, Harold Peru, that's it. I'm See, sorry. I'm getting confused too. I don't know if this. I don't think this guy is Harold Peru, but I do know that this is the guy from Showgirls. But Harold Peru has been in so much, and this guy's been in so little. I think they're two different people. I think. The, they really do sound and look a lot like with their dreads. But Harold Peru is the one that would go and have a, a career. This guy worked with Jan Debont, uh, I believe, in Basic Instinct. Yeah, Harold Peru was not in uh, in uh, Speed. No. Yeah, this is I the show. Talking about, but I'm no, I know what guy you're talking about. Yeah, Harold Peru caught my attention with uh, Romeo and Juliet. This is uh, this somebody is else. About 30, too. Oh. I'm sorry? He's in Zero Dark Thirty too. Ooh, I don't even. Rem- oh, I don't remember that. But he's he's got a good career going now. But like this is this guy in the Mercedes. I have no idea what he's doing now. I just remember him being okay in Showgirls. Yeah. But he comes back in the second movie as a bit, and it's stupid. Yeah. Um. <clears throat> so this is the board jumping from one. Car- from the moving car into the bus door. Nothing, I just realized this. Any, like, dramatic stunt is never done cleanly. Like, when he jumps from the car to the bus door, like, his feet are out of the bus door instead of him just landing on his feet in the thing, like, all perfect and such, which we see way too much of. I don't know about all the stunts, but I do know that Keanu Reeves made it a point to do a lot of his own stunts. They did not want him to do that bus, that car to bus jump, and he uh, did it when they weren't paying attention, but they were still filming. And uh, <laughs> he, his legs scraped on like they did it because he barely made it. <laughs> like, that was Keanu Reeves being like, "I'm just gonna freaking do it." <laughs> yeah. So Harry also is alerted by Jack 
through the Jaguar owner's cellular phone. I, I also want to point out something very important about Keanu Reeves in this movie, and that would also be something that kind of scarily haunts him the rest of his life. Um, his best friend, uh, uh, River Phoenix, died the year before this, uh, not a year before, but like just before he started filming this movie. So when he was going through this, he was really grieving a lot. And I don't, I can't necessarily say it shows up in the performance that much, but it is something that the other people in this movie have gone on to say, like he worked very hard despite going through something emotionally. And it's something that would follow him a lot. He has a lot of death and, and kind of tragedies in his life that he still had to go to work and do. And he's always been kind of a professional in that way. And this was sort of sadly the beginning of that, like, they there's a great podcast called um i was there too and they they interview a bunch of people from the from the bus like the bus people um and a lot of them speak very highly of keanu but at the same time they all mentioned they're like he was going through something at that time after river died and he it, this movie was very important to him and it, it meant something to him it was a big thing for him professionally but at the same time he took it very seriously um, specifically so that he didn't have to think about the death of River. Mm. That's that's messed up. It is <clears throat> messed up, but also at the same it's uh, it's interesting because River was not only a better actor, but he really did show Keanu a lot of interesting uh, tricks. Um, My Own Private Idaho is a great movie between the both of them, and it would not Keanu would not have the performance he has in that movie if it wasn't for River. And uh, I think a lot of what Keanu has done since then is indebted to their relationship both on and off screen. And it's sad, but at the same time, he is more, he's been more than willing to express that and talk about that as he has continued to have a lot of tragedy and sadness in his life. Like he's had a lot of people pass. It's, it's really crazy. It's kind of why, you know, in a strange way, he is perfect for John Wick and the amount of grief that he goes through in a lot of those movies. Mm. So. He jumps Jack- onto the bus and the Mercedes guy says, oh, poop, until he drives into a barrel of waters. I like how the shot before he does the barrel of water, before he goes to the barrel of waters <laughs> the barrels of water um like the 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 windshield was already wet oh wow i noticed that it's the i'm Let telling you the little things ah interesting i'm looking at it now counter just stepped on he's driving away yeah it is oh wow crazy yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so Jack attempts. My guess, is, my guess is that they filmed him. Uh, they fil- they took a shot of him reacting before the water, and then they just threw water on him, and then they had him perform the after part of it. Because mm. uh, as I look at it now, it looks like they're the framing is pretty much in the same spot.
So, um, Jack attempts to calm down the bu uh, calm the uh, the bus passengers, but the altercation with one man wielding a gun, fearing that Jack has done all this to arrest him, <laughs> um, forces a struggle, and the bus driver is wounded. A young a young woman named Annie Porter, played by Sandra Bullock, takes the wheel. I, I gotta be honest, Sandra Bullock in that short hair as as one of the many reasons. She she was one of my first crushes. She just kind of defined a lot of what I'm attracted to these days, both mm -hmm. in attitude and sarcasm and all that stuff. But like that hair and that look, it stuck with me as a kid. This was the first rated R movie I ever saw, and like I kind of thought uh, as a kid that I looked like Keanu because I had a shaved head and I I kind of I kind of do in the eyes and stuff. I've seen that before, but like uh, I would just I just love Sandra Bullock, man. She was a huge crush for me. So, um, so she takes the wheel, planning to hit the brakes. Jack sharply orders her not to stop the bus and informs the passengers about the bomb. At the suggestion of the injured driver, Jack opens an access panel on the floor if <coughs> and uh, finds a decoy and then the real bomb, which is alarmingly large. Relaying the info to Harry through a guy who I swear to God looked like Ed Norton. But it was not Ed Norton. Norton. I mean, he's... Wait, what? <laughs> the dude who, like, approached Annie before Jack got on the bus, who was talking about L.A. and all that, I swear he looked like Ed, he looked like Edward Norton. Oh, like you're talking all... about Alan Ruck. Yeah. He looks You're talking so... about Alan Ruck, yeah. Even even when he played a teenager in Fairy Off, the most famous thing he's ever done, uh, he looked like Ed Norton. He's always looked like Ed Norton. Just a sadder, deeper voiced, not uh, not as I don't know. He just doesn't have the same presence as Ed Norton. Um his attitude and maybe anger would be it. But he, he's always just been kind of a just genuine guy, kind of a beta male. He plays that a lot. Um, and he's gone on to do some really great TV work recently. Oh, yeah. I, uh, yeah. Um, he, he was in uh, uh, the recent movie Green Day, Charlize Theron and, uh, and Joel Edgerton. And, yeah, he's pretty, he's pretty good in that. What was he in recently? Ringo. Oh yeah. So let me see here. Um, so relaying the inf the information to Harry, uh, Harry is uh, perplexed at Jack's observation that the timer for the bomb is attached to a cheap gold watch. Harry's suspicions turn to the prospect of their mad bomber may be a former officer, and he has his staff looking over the information about officers who have worked with bombs or on bomb squads. Back in the bus, a traffic jam on the freeways forces Annie to divert the city bus onto city streets instead. There, with an LAPD helicopter following the bus with Captain McMahon and on board, trying to arrange a survivable route, the occupants of the bus have a terrifying ordeal as Annie and Jack must deal with every conceivable obstacle that threatens to fatally slow the bus as it is forced to careen through the streets. This was awesome. This was awesome. I will say it a third time. It was awesome. Yeah. It was. 
it, a, a lot of it, a lot of the joy of watching this movie is the practicality of seeing a bus like go this fast and screw up stuff on the street. Like, ju- like launch a car off a ramp and stuff is pretty fun. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I just you're going 50 miles an hour in city streets, and it's just being being is the the new driver. The Grand Spanking new driver that I am, I can, that just is like insane to me. Um, let's see. So these include being forced to take a one-way lane against opposing traffic. That that I didn't notice. All right. Um, a tight turn that nearly overturns the bus. A crowd of school kids that crosses the bus's path at the worst possible time, and a collision with the baby carriage that is sent flying. But is miserably only carrying empty cans. Cans! It's only cans! Don't worry, it's cans! It's just cans! I like how he's trying not to laugh when he says that. It's uh, so human. Because it's, it's so I mean, human. I would laugh too. Like, it's such a crazy situation. You're in with a bomb on a and then you hit a thing, and it's like the worst situation that could ever happen, and it's. And a dumb lady put a bunch of recycling stuff in a baby carriage. And I would laugh at that. I would absolutely laugh at that. That would be such a... It's a combination of a relief and just the ridiculous stupidity of it. Yeah. Um. <coughs> and the way he says can. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> Cans! Um... So eventually a police escort arrives to help guide the bus to the unfinished 105 freeway, but they don't know that yet. Um, the first entrance, a soft right turn, is blocked by a group of school kids and Annie and Jack are forced to make a hard right turn that nearly spills the bus on its side. Once the freeway, once on the freeway, McMahon and a number of officers board a flatbed truck and pulls up next to... The bus. McMahon wants to get the people off, but Jack explains that the news helicopters are in the air. The news helicopters in the air televising the event, and that pain will detonate the bus if anyone gets off. Jack soon receives a, f- a call from Payne in regards to what is being seen on television. Jack manages to get Payne to agree to letting the wounded bus driver off, though Payne tells Jack the wildcat behind the wheel is n- not to slow down. Remember the word wildcat. Um, however, a passenger named Helen, played by Beth Grant, okay, um, gets edgy and attempts to get off the bus. As she stands over the entranceway stairs, the smaller charge is set off and destroys the platform. Helen falls under the bus and is crushed under the wheels. Ah! It's horrible. It's brutal. But in this movie, I'm glad it happened. You know what I'm saying? Because it, it lets you know the actual stakes? Yes. There's collateral, you see. He means um, business. He'll, he'll kill a random woman if he wants. Um... He wants his money, Jack. <laughs> so uh, during a few moments of relative calm, 
if you want to call it that. Um, Annie tearfully confesses that she was profoundly relieved that the blast was not the main bomb and she herself survived. Wow. Um, so Jack reassures Annie that that is a perfectly normal human response to an extreme situation and she has nothing to regret while reminding her that the real person to blame is the bomber who put everyone in the situation in the first place. Even though the bomber's trying to get back at Jack. But they don't know that yet. Uh, I mean, big... uh, to be to be honest, I really don't think. I, it's not like if the if the people on the bus knew his relationship with this guy and that he was pissed at Jack and all that stuff. Like, if if anything, he would should have done this to the bus driver that Jack was friends with, but instead he killed that guy. These people are caught in a situation just like the people in the elevator. Like, really. Anybody would have been caught in this situation whether he had a personal vendetta with a cop or not. Let me see here. So McMahon is then informed that the 105 freeway is unfinished and a stretch of roadway ahead contains a 50-foot span that is missing. Jack is then informed... Jack is informed of this but still refuses to take any passengers off. Desperately, Jack then instructs... (laughs) Annie to increase the bus speed, wink, uh, figuring that, figuring there may be an incline that will allow them to jump the bus over the gap. Miraculously, his plan works, and the bus makes to the other side. This was probably the most famous moment of the movie. Uh, I, I happen to like the, uh, the ending a lot, but I, I think this is the most important move, moment in the movie. It's the it's, it's when he's at his most desperate. It's also it, it's the most extreme decision you could ever make in that situation, and he says it almost with a sense of glee. It's almost like we're gonna do this. Like it's it to his in his mind. There's really no other option, but at the same time. If it's gonna be done, he is just gonna freaking do it, and I, I I do love that. You're just you're getting part of the character right there, um, at his most pure. Like that's his, that's him going, that's just him going for it, and, and he took a chance, and it works. But at the same time, it shouldn't have ever with anyone else. So um. So once over, Jack finds an off-ramp that leads to the Los Angeles International Airport. And he takes it and enters through an airport <coughs> exit, running over a pair of spike strips. Oh, that blow a few of the tires. Oh. Mm. I thought it was because they landed on the on the ramp awkwardly when they made the jump. Oh, well. There's still decision making that has consequences. Hey, hey, keep going, Chris. I'm gonna use the uh, bathroom real quick. Okay. Okay. No so, boys' room. <laughs> so let me see here. Tired. Okay. So Jack's plan is to keep the news helicopter cameras from following them because the airport is restricted airspace. They can't fly over it. The long runways that are not in use will also allow the bus to circle and keep it out of civilian traffic and buy time until they can find pain and de- or deactivate the bomb. And or deactivate the bomb. 
So Captain McMahon soon shows up at the airport with some more cops, and Jack gets off the bus onto a vehicle with the captain. McMahon feels they should be able to unload the passenger safely, but Jack is still convinced that Payne will know. In response, in response, Jack convinces Payne to let him disembark to negotiate the ransom, and the police officer reassures the passengers that he will be back shortly to help them. To the passenger's alarm, Jack has arranged to put himself on a small-wheeled dolly attached to a, attached by a cable to a small truck and sent under the still-moving bus. Hoping to dismantle the bomb, however, hoping to dismantle the bomb. However, Payne has fitted the device with a collapsible circuit, and Jack is unable to disarm the bomb. Harry has been given Jack, giving Jack the information to try to dismantle the bomb when his associates come back with Payne's identity. Payne turns out to be a former member of the Atlanta Police Department's bomb squad. I just realized that this movie takes place in Atlanta. You're like breaking out on me there, man. Oh, dude, it takes place in Atlanta. I thought it was L.A. I'm dumb. Oh, interesting. You'd think more people would have, like, accents. Wait. In Atlanta? Is this L.A.? Is this L.A.? Oh, it's Atlanta. It was probably shot in L.A., but it takes place in Atlanta. I, I gotta be honest. I no, no, like no, 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 no. I would no. have accents. Yeah, it's a Time out. No, they are LAPD. They, this is Los Angeles. Why does it have to be Atlanta? Yeah, this is yeah, this is LA. Why does he have to be from Atlanta? Weird. Yeah. All right. Who knows? This movie's good. Um. <laughs> so. <We> swear. <laughs> this movie's good. We swear. Um. So yeah, we were just talking about um. How. Jack, convinced Payne, to. Let him off the bus. This is that's where we're at. So, okay. Oh, this is up at the airport. Jack convinces Payne to let him disembark. So the passengers alarm. Jack is arranged to put himself on a small wheel dolly to attached by a cable to a small truck, and sent under the still moving bus, hoping to dismantle the bomb. However, Payne had fitted the device with a collapsible circuit, and Jack is unable to disarm it. Harry has been giving Jack the information to try to dismantle the bomb. When his associates come back with Payne's identity, Payne turns out to be a former member of the Atlanta Police Department, Atlanta Police Department's bomb squad. But he's taking his vengeance out on the, on um, the LAPD. Okay, um, Harry and his associates rush off to apprehend Howard. Jack soon soon comes close to death when the cable towing the dolly he's on gives way. <laughs> and he's almost run over by the bus. Jack clings to the undercarriage of the bus, but accidentally pump- doesn't accidentally do it. I don't think he meticulously did it. Like, I mean, this- <clears throat> I don't think he was, I don't, it wasn't, it was a choice, but I don't think his intent, I mean, it was a choice. It was either die or stab the tank, whether the tank had gas or not. Right. <clears throat> Um, let me see here. He carries the bus, accidentally punctures the field tank with a screwdriver. <laughs> um, so the passengers on the bus help Jack up through an access panel in the bus's floor, and he survives. With leaking fuel, a new problem. Jack calls for a fuel car to pace the bus and refuel them. Meanwhile, Harry and some other members of the LAPD have staked out the and entered Payne's home. 
They soon find he's not there, but realize but realize this mm-hmm. too late, triggering a bomb planted in the house that kills those inside, including Harry. It's a sad, sad moment. After the bomb goes uh, off, I like Harry. I like Harry. I think it was. This was the same year that Dumb and Dumber came out. Uh, it probably so is. For, so for Jeff Daniels, this was a really interesting year. Fan theory. The bomb. He sur- Okay. He sur- Harry he survived, Harry survived the bomb. And it becomes yeah. <laughs> that would be crazy. Although, although the prequel to Dumb and Dumber, Dumb and Dumber, um, uh, says that they knew each other since high school. Ah, well, dang. Um, so after the bomb goes off. Payne calls Jack and gloats over Harry's death. Payne then gives Jack instructors to deliver the 3.7 million ransom to a garbage can at Pershing Square downtown. Jack is unsure what to do next when he when he's having an emotional breakdown. Um, when he notices the sweatshirt Annie has been wearing, which contains the logo for the Arizona Wildcats. Dun, dun, dun. He's been listening the whole time. Payne had called... He's been watching the whole time. Payne had called Annie a wildcat before on the phone, and now Jack realizes that Payne has been monitoring the bus through the security camera above the dri- above the dri- bus driver's seat. Even I think this is a stretch. Because can, can, can they really do that? In 1994? What, if you put a camera... That yeah, you could broadcast sure a camera that small. Like that. But can you broadcast it? I mean, broadcasting it is another thing, but buying a camera that small, especially if you were a cop, you probably knew something like that existed. No, I mean I mean I'm not I'm like I'm not saying that the technology's not attainable. I'm just saying for it to be for that small of a camera to broadcast a live image in 1994 is a stretch to me especially on a bus you know what i'm saying fair enough i just think i think it's a stretch but anyway um so though the camera can record video it cannot record audio for him to effectively make a plan like this in only a few months is crazy Though the camera can record video, it cannot record audio. Um, Jack radios over to McMahon regarding his plan. McMahon gets all the news vans nearby to stop taping and commandeers one to find the signal going into the bus camera. With everyone still sitting still on the bus, the news team records them, I'll gathering right enough back. footage. The dog is gone. Again. Gotcha. With enough... Okay, I'll... With everyone sitting still on the bus, the news team records them, gathering enough footage to run a video loop to full pain. However, Annie notes that the fuel is almost on empty, and McMahon is forced to have the tape loop with only a minute of footage having been recorded. An airport bus is brought alongside uh, uh, the actual, our bus, and the passengers are unloaded as the, the loop is being broadcast to Payne. 
However, the tires had been that had been punctured tires earlier. Had been, uh, Sorry, I'm back. Okay. Well, that, that was feedback. Um. Uh, hang on a second. So, however, the tires that had been punctured punctured once the bus went through the airport's exits continued to lose their treads. <clears throat> and Annie and Jack are unable to get off. Jack affixes the steer the steering wheel with some rope, the gas pedal with a steel pipe, and two escape and the two escape from under the bus using the access panel. As the dolly that the Jack was using earlier. Um the bus drives a ways off before heading towards a cargo plane. Thank God it was empty. Um, as the speed drops below 50, the bus runs straight into the cargo plane and explodes. Dun, dun, dun! Earlier, it's uh, a great explosion. It's huge. It's crazy. It's uh, really cool. Um, earlier, yeah. earlier, uh, Jack had said that, um, the, the there was enough uh there was enough explosive to put a hole in the to put a hole in the earth <laughs> which yeah i do like that line i don't <laughs> that's a little too much cheese for me but anyway but i mean dude it's there, the 90s it, dude everything's cheesy a large hole was not produced it, it, to me I, I do think it's cheesy but at the same time it's effective in the way that it it puts a visual well, no, it, it puts a visual in your head. You immediately hate the picture. It's never going to be the same with everybody, and it's just an interesting idea. Like, um, especially today, when the news was in, in Australia that, that an actual hole just could, sort of created a beach and swallowed it up. And if you look at it, it's, a, it's just a hole in the earth. It's crazy. Um. Explosion now. I'm just saying that explosion looks like it could do some damage. Yeah. Um hold on a second. I think I'm getting some interference. I'm gonna pause the recording real quick. Hold on, let me Okay. Sure. Stand by real quick. Why am I getting such Standing. a low signal? Alright. I guess I'm o- I guess I'm okay. All right, never mind then. Three, two, one. Okay, we're back. Action. Apparently, nothing was wrong. Allegedly. You know what I think is really interesting during that explosion that the guy who's pulling the plane in that little car just sort of runs away, but quite honestly, <laughs> he should be dead. <laughs> yeah. He should totally be dead. He should be. He really as, uh, should be. He should be as dead as Claire from uh, Jurassic World. Um, after the passengers are treated by paramedics, the police receive a call from Payne wanting to know about the money. McMahon is about to tell Payne off, but Jack realizes that Payne does not know the bus exploded, giving them the advantage to capture the madman. The money is placed in bags and dropped into the garbage container and Payne had specified with a couple of paint bombs among the cash. A number of officers patrol Pershing Square with Payne watching from an overhead building's window. Payne thinks he's one until he notices the bus camera and realizes that the tape is on a loop. Payne quickly puts on his uniform and blending in with the other officers walks over to Annie in the ambulance 
because she just happens to be there, um, and escorts her away from the scene, saying that he'd been sent by Jack. Stranger danger. It, it's stranger danger. Stranger danger. Well, it works. She never heard his voice. That yeah, that is true. Still, stranger, stranger danger. Mm. Yeah, don't trust cops. Don't trust cops. They're bad, man. Especially in 1994. Um. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, yeah. So Jack and a number of officers are watching the garbage can, but no one has appeared. Jack suddenly demands they turn on the homie beacon with the money. And all of them are surprised to see that the money is in motion. Jack rushes out to the garbage can and finds that there's a hole in the bottom of it. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. There's a hole in the bottom of the sea. Sorry, what was that? Uh, <laughs> that was pretty good. I forgot about that hole. That was great. What you'd expect. But that was like that hole. Just, that whole hole thing. That was great. Did I? Did yeah, I? Harry, Harry hole. Did I? Harry did I make hole, yeah. you? No. The the fact that there's a hole in the bottom of the um, garbage can. The seat. There's a hole in the bottom of the seat. Right. I'm sure L.A. was at the bottom of the sea at one point. Probably. We'll be soon. So Jack rushes out to the garbage can and he finds that there's a hole in the bottom of it leading to down to a level below the street. Jack finds an entrance to the area below the street level and is confronted with Andy strapped with explosives. And Payne standing nearby holding a detonator. Payne chastises Jack a bit before making his way to the L.A. subway system with Jack jumping aboard as it pulls away. Crawling across the top. Um. Pain handcuffs. I, re- I really do. I love this scene. I, I think uh, it it reminds me of early the the. It's like an early Mission Impossible. Oh yeah, yeah I was gonna say, but I wasn't confident because <laughs> I remember the end of Mission Impossible. Um. Yeah. So Payne handcuffs Annie to a pole um, and kills the train driver. Uh, Payne then then explains his plan, or Payne the explains his plan to Annie. Um, they really need editors. Uh, he intends to get off the train with the money but leave her to explode, causing the police to think they both died on the subway. Wait, how would that hey. work out? They know there's a driver. They know there's pain, and they know there's Annie. So one, well, so the, one of them being missing would not would mean that he got away. Chris, don't think about it too hard. It's the nineties, dude. Oh, well, they don't the, think they don't he, think Jack followed him. Oh, that's right. Yeah, maybe they. I guess they didn't know that. Yeah. Okay, <clears throat> but Payne didn't know that until. Ah, whatever. It's a good movie. Um. I, I think it's it's like the it's like the elevator scheme. His plan was to always make it seem like he died and I, make it out of situations that he could run away with the money. So Payne's overzealous nature gets the better of him as he hears Jack climbing on top of the train car, playfully claiming that he may be able to bribe Jack into letting him go. Payne reaches into the sack of money only to, only 
to set off the hidden die pack bombing, ruining the money and covering him in purple dye. Yeah, you're a cop, dude. You should have seen that coming. Enraged, Payne then climbs up the side of the train car out on the outside and goes hand-to-hand with Jack. As they fight, Jack notices a low overhanging light approaching and holds Payne's head up while seizing the detonator to Annie's bomb from Payne. The light decapitates Payne as his body falls over the side of the car. I'm smarter than you, Jack. I'm smarter than you. How's it feel? How's it feel to be dumb? I'm smarter than you. Whap! Yeah! taller. <laughs> when I was a kid and I watched that, I didn't get it. I'm like, yeah, you're, you've always been taller than him. I mean, Dennis Hopper seems like a tiny, oh, oh, he's decapitated. And I found that out like five years later. I was like, oh, I put it together. <laughs> I was young I'm I smarter. I was I'm smarter. I got the brain. Yeah. No, no, he doesn't have any brains anymore. Uh, his uh, brains has been separated from the rest of his body. <laughs> So Jack then enters. <laughs> Jack then enters the car and manages to get the explosives off Annie. However, he does not have the key to her handcuffs, and Payne's killing of the train driver has rendered the brakes inoperable. Uh, a rail map shows Jack that there's a sharp curve ahead. He speeds up the train with the intention of derailing it. The plan works, and Annie is freed from the bar. The train barrels out. <laughs> Of an incomplete stretch of track. It, it, it's a really good. It's a really good moment where he says he doesn't have the key and he can't get her out, and they try to get the bar off. It's. It, I. I don't know if these two. I know these two dated at some point and then got back together years later and have been on and off since. But I really feel like they they had they have chemistry in this movie. I gotta feel like they were having sex. Like they they had to like. There's there there is the moments between them work, and this moment really does work. Like, I I love it. Like he doesn't know what to do. She doesn't know what to do. And what does he do? He gets the same look in his eye that he gets when he wants to jump the bus. He's just like, I'm gonna I'm gonna just do it. We're just gonna do it. We're just gonna go faster. That's the only way. We're gonna go faster. See what happens. And to be honest, in any other situation, he they would just hit a wall and die. But luckily, there's construction. Yeah, but they milk that desperation between them, and it works. And uh, I, I just feel—I honestly feel like the charm of Sandra Bullock brings out uh, the humanity in Keanu Reeves's performance. Like when she hits the cans and she's freaking out, I think he's laughing because of how good Sandra Bullock is. And I—I just—I feel like there's a genuine fun that she was probably adding to the set with him that he just really feels. Okay. So the plan works and Annie's freed from the bar. The train barrels out of an incomplete stretch of track right in front of the Chinese theater in Hollywood. It lands on its side and comes to a halt. <clears throat> Annie and Jack are both alive as they kiss. A number of tourists and others and others whom the train has stopped traffic for come over to look at the strange spectacle. Roll credits. Dun, dun, dun! It's, uh, it's great. It's uh, awesome. It's... A great movie. It's it's a great use of miniatures, CGI, practical effects, and an actual bus jumping through a wall in the middle of a city for no reason. 
Because I can. I'm stuck between A minus and B plus. Um, I'm gonna go with uh, watching it again now. It's I'm gonna go A minus, and uh, uh, maybe a little bit of it is nostalgic, but I I honestly think that the difference between something like this and Die Hard is that Die Hard is a movie that starts simple and and slowly only uh, uh, i wouldn't say only but um seemingly meditatively becomes epic like it gets to the point where it's epic this movie to me um puts you in a sense of just racked nerves but also with a smile on your face and it's different it's uh what well, i feel like where die hard is a, maybe a strong shot of whiskey um, speed is like a strong like coffee that starts your day. Like, oh god, that feels great. Let's go, Zach. You're great. There are dogs barking. Give me just a minute. <laughs> okay, uh, but B plus. <laughs> he gives a B plus. <coughs> All right. What are your th- what are your thoughts on this movie, Zach? Like, when did you when did you how, is this your like second third time seeing it? What's your deal? He's dealing with the dogs right now. Give him a second. <clears throat> anyway, don't want dead air. Zach is dealing with the dogs while he thinks about Dog. his opinion. Um, yes, I'm, I'm glad I, I think this, this was my first real foyer into, uh, fun action movies when I was a kid and in the nineties. And I think, uh, I think people would still like it today. I think people would find it stupid, but not as stupid as say Twister. Here's an interesting thought. So there's this movie by WWE studios called 12 rounds. It's got John Cena in it. I've heard of it, yeah. I've wa- I watched it a lot in middle school because my movie senses were just coming to life, I guess. Um, at that point. So a lot of this movie reminded of reminded me of 12 rounds. How so? Okay, so 12 rounds. So 12 rounds is like the same. It's it's the, basically the same premise. Like almost carbon copy. So John Cena plays a police officer who stopped um the other Edward Norton lookalike who's a little I can only he's only I remember him from Scorch Trials and this movie. Oh the, the, you're talking about the Game of Thrones guy. Yes. Oh, is, uh, Julian. Yeah, the guy plays Peter Dinklage. Uh, guy plays uh, Baelish. Yeah. Um, he stops him. Uh, he's he um. Uh, Aiden G- G- Gillen. Gillen. Right. Yeah, uh, Irish Natalie. So yeah. he stop. So John Cena stops him, sends him to jail while his girlfriend dies. Or gets his girlfriend killed in a sense, I guess. Um, so he comes back for revenge and go makes him go through like twelve 
challenges where somebody's about to die or something like that. Oh, wow. So I guess it's I guess it's speed on crack. Um but like it's just not as interesting. It's like speed beats Hercules. Yeah. It's something it's so I think it's I honestly think it would be podcast worthy if we just went back and if I added like WWE movies to the series wheel. I don't know if you want to watch Geno Evil. Nah, never mind then. That's true. I have to watch Geno Evil too. Um, maybe I'll just add it to like the to like I've been thinking about adding a third wheel of just like movies we're not movies we remember but we're not sure of. Because Sahara was on that where <laughs> Sahara would have been on that wheel. Um. The interesting thing about Sahara is that you didn't remember it. You just remember liking it and then realized that it was a mistake when you watched it. <laughs> I didn't hate it. Not for me, though. I, lo- I love Speed and I still like Willow. <laughs> Willow Willow's a can of worms. Anyway, Zach, what did you think of Speed? Uh, it's like it's a fun movie. It's a B minus. Um, you said B plus. The B plus for me. I, I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's a, it's a '90s action movie in a nutshell. Like it's, <laughs> it, it, it's it's everything you would expect out of a '90s action movie. <laughs> and there's a dog whining. Crazy. <laughs> so so we're spinning the good wheel this week. Yeah, this and week, next week, and the week after, and then we'll spin the bad wheel like two times, and we'll start a new series. That's what I'm okay. thinking. So he put up Clueless. Did you have one, Chris? The first Taken. Huh. The other the other movies don't exist. Much like Speed Two. It's like Jaws. Yeah. Um. I mean, I I would go clueless, but we always tend to flip a coin on this or do the roulette wheel and and leave it to chance. But if I had a choice, I'd choose clueless, to be honest. Only because I think we'll get to Taken and we just have so many action films on here, I would like to put up something that's a little bit different. Okay, yeah. All right, fine. We'll go with clueless. I'm outnumbered. Well, like, well, like I said, we've been flipping coins and, run, and rolling roulettes, so that I... Still, if you still want to do that and go by chance, I completely I'm for it. No, no, no. We're, I'm I'm outnumbered, so I will go with Clueless. Well, I appreciate that. I think you'll really enjoy it, man. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, okay. <sighs> so I the movies I don't like two of them and one of them I do like and they've all chosen to not want to sleep tonight. <laughs> so, so the movies on the good wheel. Yes. As of today are as follows. Looper Yep. Never Wait, ending story. Okay. The Incredibles. Okay. Surf's up. K. 
Okay. The sequel does not exist. Um. Anyway. Just, just to, just to rub it into me. Um. Well, no, Trish- I'm interested. I'm genuinely interested to see what they <laughs> thought they could do with that. Treasure Planet. Mm-hmm. Tin Tin. Yep. Which they're taking off of Netflix this month. So we gotta get it. <laughs> well, the wheel will decide. Um, Hardcore Henry is still on there. Mm-hmm. Um, recently, recently added Heat. Yep. Um, the Way of the Gun. Yep. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang is still there. Yep. Pulp Fiction is still there. Yep. I'm actually honestly surprised we have not hit Pulp Fiction, and now that I say that, we're probably going to hit Pulp Fiction. I'm excited. I'd love to. I love that movie. Um, but also, I'm glad we at least got to one of them. Yeah. Uh, the Big Lebowski. Yep. Labyrinth. Yep. And I guess added, that's a no movie, I would say. And added last week, Dogma. Yep. Are you ready, I, guys? I have a real good bad movie selection. I feel bad we have like two, three weeks before we get to it, but... It's a good uh, mirror response to Dogma. You ready, guys? <laughs> Are you ready? Yeah. Yeah? Go. Go! Still sounds like a fart. Yeah. I can't even hear it. it smells like... It smells like... It sounds like bowel movement. You have some crazy bowel movement. Oh! What'd we get? Ladies and gentlemen, the next movie we're going to review next week, The Never-Ending Story. Yay! It's a fun one. The movie's crazy. Yeah. Never seen years. it. Never seen it. I, oh, man, I'm going to have to see it. Man, it's going to be crazy. I'll have to rewatch this <laughs> a couple times. Let me make sure I can... Never-Ending Story. Make sure I can find it first. Should be easy to find. Uh, I think it's rentable. I don't know if it's on anything. Never-ending story. Yeah, I'm not seeing it on my Apple TV, so... Oh. Interesting. I'll check a, I'll check a YouTube. Bridge of Terabithia? The Josh Hutchison version is on Netflix? Mm-hmm. The never-ending story, full movie. <laughs> You're gonna pirate it. <laughs> oh, nothing. It's so creepy. Yeah, I'm not. I don't think I can find it on YouTube for free, but uh, I'm sure it's out there. I found a South Korean romantic comedy called Never Ending Story. Uh, wow. Made in 2012, so I don't think that's it. No, probably not. The. Do you guys do a backup in case we can't get to this one? Ending. Hold on. Story. Oh, it's one word. Yeah. Never ending is one word. Okay, we're good. I found it. Where'd you find it? Um, I found it on Google Play Movies. Alright, I'll see what I can do. 
Uh, I usually I usually pirate the movies, so I don't really. <laughs> Where do we admit that on air? I don't know what you're yeah. talking about. They will use this. They will use said. this. Do you realize I have to edit this now? Gosh, I mean, dang it! You'll be fine. Yeah, I'll be fine. Are you gonna be fine? Probably. We'll see about that. I mean, I'm not the one distributing the movie, so I don't know why I can get they can get me on anything. Um. And I'm not. Ooh, okay. I I found it on iTunes. There we go. Hey, I mean, yeah, I can yeah. also just find it on iTunes too, because I have it on iTunes. I'm gonna rent it. And not watch it. Yeah, you can rent it on iTunes. Cool. Okay. We're good. So next week, the never-ending story. Yeah. Not the South Korean 2012 romantic comedy, allegedly, allegedly. Which, but the, uh, the one, the 1984. Yeah, I'm to that being it, but I'll Never seen this. Never. I think you're going to find it really interesting. I think it's going to be better than Willow, but it's still fairly interesting. Is the ending going to make more sense than Willow? Yes. I cannot say. Really? Yes. That's gonna be a, it's going to be such a fun review next week. I'm going to be coming in ranting and raving about how it's just like Willow. Oh, no, dude. This movie's like better than Willow by a long shot. It's just, it's weird. It's it's weirder than Willow, but it's also more effective, I think. Yeah, it's a much better movie, but it's like weird. Wolfgang Peterson. I don't think I've seen a film of his. I believe you have. He, I believe he's made a lot of disaster movies. You know what we should add to the bad movie wheel? Did he do Poseidon? The new one, yeah, probably. Okay, you not know, the one with Adam you know Baldwin. What? You know what we should add to like the bad movie wheel, but it might actually just be like, we might just like remember it so fondly that it might be just good enough for the good wheel? What? Uh, wish the page master. God, no. <laughs> wow. No, I, I don't like the page master. It. It's not good. It's not good. But it's like weird. Macaulay Culkin enters a library and then enters a animated world. It's, uh, it's interesting, but I don't really, I don't think it holds up. It's is, not Ar- good. is Aragon more boring than bad? Uh, it's really bad and really boring. Dang. It's, I don't think it's a fun watch. Let me let me tell you something about Aragon here from personal. One being a fan of the books, and oh, uh, here Eric goes. And uh, two, uh, having watched the movie a number of times, uh, that movie is incredibly painful to watch because there's like scene, there's like literal deleted scenes that had no business being deleted because like the they like they should have been in the main thing because they literally explain like half of the plot. Plot issues with the movie. Weird. Yeah, it's it it's bad. Also, the acting's just abysmal. <laughs> All uh, right. The fact, like the fact that like Jeremy Irons put his name on that movie is like just saddening. So there also, you go. Robert, Clueless is on the Goodwill. So Robert Carlyle, who I actually like enjoy as like a good TV actor, like should never have been a. Associate with that movie at all. 
Oh God, Robert Carlyle was great in Train Spotting and Train Spotting Two and Ravenous. Once Upon a Time before it got canceled. Yeah, he 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 was already he he did a, a Stargate show that got canceled before he even got to that. Yeah, I mean, Once Upon a Time was literally written by the guys who did Lost, and it was like probably twice as good as Lost. In in uh, like on the back end, it was it, it, on the back end. It was much better than Lost's back end. Lost's back it end. It had more. It had more focus. Yeah, but like. Uh, I think Lost, I, I think people just expected something different with Lost, and the writers half lied and half told the truth about what they were giving, and that's why people so, didn't like it. I, I just want to apologize for the ending of Lost. Why? It's not, like, why? the ending's not even that bad, dude. Like, it's just weird. Cause it's... Well, it's about the characters and not the mystery. And a lot of people watch that show for the mysteries. And yeah. uh, that's that's what it is. Okay. I also want to point out that, like, literally, like, there's a ton of great cast in Once Upon a Time. Like, I actually genuinely enjoy A. Robert Carlyle's fantastic. Uh, the, we had leads in the form of, like, Jennifer Good Goodwin, who went off to do Zootopia. Um Me. Josh Dallas is in it. Emily DeRaven's in it. Rebecca Mader. I mean, a lot of these are like lost alumni, but like, it, like I, it's actually my favorite uh, Emily DeRaven show. Honestly, I didn't like her that uh, was lost, but I liked her a lot more in Once Upon a Time. Yeah, she's she's better in that show than say like Remember Me, which I think is just. No, 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 you're, you're mistaking Emily DeRay with Amelia Clark. Oh, who no. is Emily DeRay? <sighs> Emily DeRay, oh, maybe she wasn't remembering. Never mind, I don't know what I'm talking about. She so isn't. I'm looking through Wolfgang Peterson's um, filmography. Uh-huh. The yeah. only one where I think I've seen is Troy, and that's it. Troy's not even that good. Uh, what else has he done? Uh, his best film is probably Das Boot, but what else has he done? Um, something called The Perfect St He did Air Force One. Oh, Air Force One is fun. Perfect Storm. That's a, that's a really fun movie. Oh, I'll, get the, I'll have to watch that on my own time, then. He also saw. He also made The Perfect Storm, Troy, Poseidon. Good pick. I mean... I don't know, man. If you want to sit and watch like three hours, I'm always game to sit and watch like Troy. Bicentennial <laughs> Man. I, I don't like. Uh, what? But I did. I don't like Troy, but I do like Das Boot, despite the fact that it's like eight hours long and setting us up. He did a movie. He did a movie with Robin Williams called Bicentennial Man. It is not good. Ah. Das Boot is like 149 minutes. It's not that long. It, it's 150. It was it's a two and a half hours. That got edited down to a movie eventually. So kind of like uh, the Born Identity. Uh, yeah, yeah, I see what you mean. Or kind of like the Born Identity, but the Born Identity was two parts. No, like, dude, this movie's like actually like fucking long. Pardon my French. Yeah, we're still recording. Let's get off air. Next week, never ending story. Later. Uh, Later. Uh, see you next week.